This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the state health department has decided it will not release the daily COVID casualty reports anymore. From now on, they'll only do it once a week. Speaking of COVID, Governor Ron DeSantis has joined the latest GOP parlor game. Let's blame Dr. Fauci. We're going to end up probably having like $10 billion in reserve that would not have been possible if we had followed Fauci. Instead, we followed freedom, and that's the reason why Florida's doing better. Senator Marco Rubio was calling on the president to fire Fauci, but Joe Biden says not going to happen. Florida courts have been working remotely since March of 2020, but the chief justice of the Florida Supreme Court says judicial circuits can reopen later this month and no later than August 2nd. The governor signs three bills to help make life a bit easier for military personnel and their families stationed in Florida. Lawmakers say they have one goal here. It's a pleasure to be with you all today as we renew Florida's commitment to being the most veteran-friendly state in the nation. Florida is, in fact, the most veteran-friendly state in the country. You know, we say we're the most veteran-friendly state in the nation, and it's true. We are the most veteran-friendly state. We'll also have your calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man accused of hurling his two-month-old son at officers as they tried to arrest him. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, June 7th. This is National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. It's also Prince's birthday. He would be 62 if Prince hadn't overdosed on fentanyl back in 2016. On this date in 1936, New York City gangster Charles Lucky Luciano was convicted on 62 counts of compulsory prostitution. In 1942, the Battle of Midway ended. The Japanese lost four of their best aircraft carriers. All four had been part of the attack on Pearl Harbor. We lost one flat top, the Yorktown. It was the first naval defeat of Japan in World War II. In 1955, Dwight Eisenhower became the first American president to appear on color TV. In 1965, the U.S. Supreme Court issued the decision known as Griswold v. Connecticut, which legalized the use of contraception by married couples. And on this date in 1977, singer Anita Bryant led a successful crusade against Miami's gay rights law. The backlash eventually cost Bryant her job as the celebrity pitch person for Florida Orange Juice and the Florida Citrus Commission. Normally at this point, I would give you the numbers on the daily casualty report on COVID from the state health department, but not today. Florida stopped releasing daily COVID reports on Friday. The state will continue to release the numbers, but from now on, they're only doing it once a week on Friday. The weekly report released three days ago showed 11,900 new cases and 35 additional deaths for the week. Our death toll has reached 37,717. Well, each year at the end of the legislative session, lawmakers will congratulate themselves for passing new laws designed to make Florida into the most military-friendly state in the nation. And this year was no exception. It's a pleasure to be with you all today as we renew Florida's commitment to being the most veteran-friendly state in the nation. We are dedicated to all of our veterans, all of our current serving military members, to make sure that Florida is, in fact, the most veteran-friendly state in the country. You know, you hear a lot of things where we say we're the most veteran-friendly state in the nation, and it's true, but it's true because of action. Because it's one thing to say it, and it's another thing to take action. We are the most veteran-friendly state. I want us to also be the most veteran-sought-after state in the nation. I want every veteran to want to come and live in Florida because who and what we do for our veterans, their families, their wives, and their kids. Right? That's what we need in Florida because those are great Americans. Governor Ron DeSantis just signed three of those military-friendly bills. Senate Bill 922 gives veterans preference in employment, and they don't need to meet college degree requirements if they had similar experience in the military. 
Every year, about 200,000 service members finish their military service and then re-enter the civilian workforce or enroll in additional education. This bill will authorize state and political entities to waive certain post-secondary educational requirements for employment for eligible service members and veterans. The legislation requires Florida governmental agencies to develop and implement a veterans recruitment plan, which will result in more employment opportunities for veterans. It also enhances uh, preferences given to veterans and their family members when a numerically based selection process is used for hiring. Enhanced veterans preference opportunities expands our ability to attract and retain top talent as another, as another way to ensure Florida remains the most military and veterans-friendly state in the nation. Senator Danny Burgess of Zephyr Hill sponsored that bill. He says it will help people leaving the military make the transition to civilian life. As veterans are, are starting their lives after service, learning how to take that uniform off, because we do such a good job of teaching them how to put it on, we don't necessarily do a great job of teaching them how to take it off. And so we here in Florida are hoping to be that landing pad, that place where veterans and their families know they can come and they can start their life after service, and that we want their skills, their unique abilities. The governor also signed House Bill 435 that sets up a formal process where veterans can begin working in the private sector during the final six months of their career with the DOD, the Department of Defense. What we'll do with this bill is break new ground by becoming the first state in the nation to codify in law a statewide skill bridge initiative that matches service members separating or retiring from Florida's 21 military installations and from those across the country with Florida's boundless career opportunities. We're already hearing this bill will likely become a model for other states to use. This creates a statewide awareness and employment program built on the DOD skill bridge program through Veterans Florida, uh, public-private created within our Department of Veterans Affairs, whose purpose is to attract and retain veterans and their families by connecting them to employment, training, and educational opportunities. The SkillBridge program allows service members to gain workforce training with civilian employers while on active duty during their last 180 days as they transition out of the military, helping the folks that, that stand the post for us to transition from military life to civilian life and I think that this is really going to be helpful to a lot of veterans. You know, when people are getting out, there's not always been a great connection between DOD and the actual communities on the ground. They've worked different ways. I think this is going to help bring that together even more, which is really, really good. The state's also trying to help the children of military vets. I've mentioned before being an Air Force brat, which means the entire family had to move every three years or so. It can really mess with a kid's education, so lawmakers have passed House Bill 497, the Purple Star Campus Bill. It makes military brats eligible for the private school voucher program no matter when they transfer to Florida. Under normal circumstances, a military-connected child can expect to move six to nine times from kindergarten through their high school graduation. And, and may, some of you may have been, you know, you run into people, where'd you grow up? Well, I was an army brat or I was in the Navy. My dad was moving around or my mom was moving around. So we understand that reality. Um, and we understand that people are coming and going from Florida all the time. We also understand that there are academic challenges that some of these students face as they relocate to new schools when their parents serving in the military is transferred. So this bill embraces military families and ensures access to Florida's world-class school choice options for every military-connected child. Uh, the Florida Department of Education under this bill will establish a Purple Star Campus program to identify schools that support military-connected children and to demonstrate uh, and that demonstrate a commitment to providing support to military families during their transition. 
and reserving controlled open enrollment seats for military-connected students to utilize to ensure school choice no matter the time of year that the military transfer takes place. And when it comes to being veteran-friendly, DeSantis says the state is also putting its money where its mouth is. Our budget that we did has $28 million uh, for uh, Florida military families as well as supporting the military presence in Florida. Uh, we did $2 million for Florida's Defense Support Task Force, uh, $1.6 million for the Defense Infrastructure Program, $7.2 million for Armory Maintenance, $2 million for military base protection, including additional security measures for National Guard armories, $4.1 million to support Florida National Guardsmen seeking higher education degrees, and $11 million to support scholarships for children and spouses of deceased or disabled veterans. The budget includes up to $50 million to construct two new National Guard armories in Immokalee and in Zephyr Hills. So it's interesting how, you know, you have a, a Senate president from Pasco County and, and they get an armory in Zephyr Hills. Uh, but we're, we're, we're happy with that. And so is Senate President Wilton Simpson, the guy who made sure that money for the Zephyr Hills armory was included in the new budget. Florida is home to more than one and a half million military veterans, ranking number three in the nation. The Chief Justice of the Florida Supreme Court issues an order allowing chief judges in each circuit to lift the face mask and social distancing requirements as early as June 21st and no later than August 2nd. Most in-person court events were suspended 15 months ago as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, in his new order, Chief Justice Charles Kennedy says the rules will no longer be necessary because vaccines are readily available and half the state population has already been immunized. Jury trials, especially criminal cases, will be the first priority at the courthouse. Other proceedings can still be done remotely. Score one for the governor in his fight over vaccination passports. Royal Caribbean Cruises announced Friday that an additional six ships will resume trips from U.S. ports in Florida and Texas beginning in July and August. In a statement, Royal Caribbean said that while all crew members will be vaccinated against COVID-19 and guests are strongly recommended to set sail fully vaccinated, they will not be required to do so or show any proof of vaccination. Those passengers will have to undergo COVID testing and follow other protocols that will be announced at a later date. This is an abrupt reversal from the company's initial vaccine mandate announced last month, which required vaccinations for all passengers over the age of 16 on ships sailing from the U.S. and the Bahamas. The change comes on the heels of efforts by Governor DeSantis to prohibit vaccine requirements, including a new law that fines businesses $5,000 each time they request proof of vaccination. A similar policy was enacted by the governor of Texas. Remember last year as the death toll was climbing during the COVID crisis, how Donald Trump stepped up, took charge, embraced the science, and helped protect us during the worst pandemic of the century? Neither do I. He pretty much left it to the states to sort things out and muddied the waters by touting distractions like hydroxychloroquine, bleach, and infrared light. But the former president and his loyal supporters would like you to blame someone else for those failures, so they've decided to make Dr. Anthony Fauci the designated scapegoat. And Florida's governor is part of this effort to revise history. On Friday, Ron DeSantis bragged about the new state budget, saying it was proof that his policies to limit lockdowns and reopen the state during the pandemic had paid off. We did $1,000 bonuses to every law enforcement, firefighter, and first responder. We supported, uh, continue to have uh, unprecedented support for improving Florida's water resources and infrastructure associated with uh, uh, the water quality in this state, which is so important. Uh, we also uh, were able to do all of that. And then we're going to end up probably having like $10 billion in reserve uh, mm -hmm. once the new budget takes effect. And so that's a 
that would not have been ha- uh, been possible if we had followed Fauci. Instead, we followed freedom, and that's the reason why Florida is doing better. DeSantis never mentioned how much worse the budget would be if not for the billions of dollars funneled to the state by the American Rescue Plan, which was approved without a single Republican vote, or the financial impact of the billions of dollars in federal unemployment benefits provided to jobless Floridians. He never mentions how those $1,000 COVID bonuses for cops, teachers, and first responders are only possible because of the Biden bucks. Nope, his strategy is to simply portray Dr. Fauci as the enemy of freedom. And later in that same press conference, DeSantis said it was all Fauci's fault the cruise ships are not sailing yet. This bureaucracy needs to be brought to account. You can't have a bureaucracy that's just going out and issuing these rules on the fly. They literally said, if you're sunbathing on a cruise ship, you have to wear a mask. Really? I mean, give me a break. And I think now with Fauci's emails and you see all this stuff, it's pretty clear that a lot of this stuff was fly by the seat of your pants guidance. This was not based on hard data. In fact, there were people who were showing, one pointing out about that, that this thing uh, came from the lab. If you said that a year ago, corporate media said you were a conspiracy theorist. P- Facebook would deplatform you for saying that. Now, it's almost impossible to make the case it was natural because they haven't been able to do any linkage and it's 15 months plus later. Uh, and so the lab leak is by far the most plausible explanation. And so we just have to ask ourselves, why was Fauci and these other people sending grants to Wuhan or some of these other places? I'm sorry, that is not an appropriate use of tax dollar money. And when he testified many years ago that doing gain-of-function research, the risk of having a pandemic is worth doing the research. I disagree with that. I think this has been a disaster what's happened, and China has covered it up. They need to be held accountable, but the bureaucrats in the United States also need to be accountable for what they did. Now, if you want to argue that mistakes were made last year by bureaucrats in D.C., you will get absolutely no argument here. Everyone was learning about this on the fly, and it took a long time to sort the facts from the fiction. Trying to turn Fauci into a villain now will not alter the fact that Donald Trump failed us then, and no amount of whitewashing by political suck-ups can absolve him of responsibility. Senator Marco Rubio booked his ticket on the Get Fauci train over the weekend, publishing an editorial on the Fox News website saying Fauci should be fired because he has a history of moving goalposts when it comes to public health, withholding facts that don't conform to his own narrative, and issuing inappropriate personal judgments that can distort the truth. Your calendar of events, at 9 o'clock, the Florida Supreme Court hears an appeal on behalf of Henry Martin Steiger, who was convicted of secondary murder and sentenced to life in prison in 2019. Two state lawmakers from Ocoee, State Senator Randolph Bracey and Representative Camia Brown, will join Apopka Mayor Brian Nelson at noon for a news conference to discuss money in the state budget for a new fire station in Apopka. And U.S. Representative Brian Mast and State Representative Rick Roth will speak to the Palm Beach County Tea Party at 7 o'clock in Jupiter. And finally today, a Florida man is accused of hurling his two-month-old son at an officer who was trying to arrest him. Officials at the Sheriff's Department in Indian River County say 32-year-old John Henry James III led them on a 40-minute car chase with the baby on board. After being trapped in a parking lot in an apartment complex in the town of Gifford, deputies say James got out of the car and threw the baby overhand at an officer before trying to escape on foot. 
A deputy caught the kid, took him to safety. Dad was tackled, arrested, and charged with two counts of felony child abuse, aggravated battery, and battery on a first responder, reckless driving, and resisting arrest with violence. That's it for this episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Thank you.